Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Church on this first Sunday of Lent. We're so excited you're here. And whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're out there in live stream world, we're so happy you're here. If you can find your friendship register, if you're on the aisle, and pass that along and sign in with us, that'd be great. Those of you online, there's a tab for you to register as well. We love to know who's worshiping with us um, each Sunday, uh, so we love to keep track of that. Thank you so much. You'll also notice in the pew rack a prayer card. If you want to fill that in for prayer uh, this morning, this week, on our uh, weekly email list, please fill that in. This morning, those are actually going to be collected during the offertory. So hang on to those and wait until the offertory. If you would like personal prayer this morning, I will be available after the postlude um, up front. If you would just like some prayer, I am available. So as many of you know, Lent is often a season of prayer for many people. Perhaps you've decided to give something up during Lent, or perhaps you've decided to add something in for this season of Lent. So we want to support you in whatever way we can in those endeavors. We also want to offer you, if you're looking for a Lenten devotional or something to kind of keep you on track throughout Lent, we have a daily email. If you want to get added to that list, just call the office or send us an email, and we'll make sure you get on that list. One very exciting, two very exciting things to share with you, which I announced last week. We have a new proposal for a sound system. So many of you have said it's very hard to hear in the sanctuary. So we have a proposal to update the sound. We also are, there's a parallel project. If you've been to our parlor lately, you may have noticed that it needs a little TLC. So those two projects are outside of our church budget. So if you want to engage in those and lean in, help us get those funded, we would love to have you participate. There's more information in your bulletin and, of course, on our website. Mayflower, we like to say, is sailing into a bright future And improvements like those to help us um, see that come to fruition. So with a very uh, exciting announcement about Lenten Outreach, I want to welcome Rachel Cooley and Lucy Houlihan. Good morning. During this Lent season, we as a church are collecting items for the pantry at Safe Haven Ministry. Safe Haven's mission is straightforward. It is to prevent and end relationship abuse. They work to achieve this simple yet very complicated goal through education, empowerment, and community collaboration. Their belief that all individuals have the right to a healthy relationship rings true in every aspect of their programming. The Mayflower Outreach Team recently took a tour of Safe Haven's new facility that is located within the 49506 zip code. Executive Director Rachel Verwise shared with us the many ways that Safe Haven comes alongside people and community with resources and programming. A new partnership with the Kent ISD is coming to the East Grand Rapids Middle School and High School, which Lucy Houlihan, who is a member of Mayflower and a sophomore at East Grand Rapids High School, is here to share with us. My name is Lucy Houlihan, and I am on Safe Haven's Youth Leaders Against Violence Board. Together, we are working on curriculum that teaches students about healthy relationships, healthy conflict resolution, bystander intervention, and safe use of technology. 
It's exciting that we as a church have the opportunity during Lent to support Safe Haven's mission and ministry by filling the pantry at the Safe House with food and items people in crisis can access. Please take today's bulletin with you to the grocery store this week and consider purchasing items on the list to donate. Thank you for being a church that makes a difference to your generosity and care. And now I'd like to welcome Susan Jones, our moderator, for a moderator moment. Is that what we're calling it? A moment for the moderator. Here she is. Thank you, Ruth, and I will try to just take a moment. Uh, Many of you saw me here last week with the first announcement that we are going to ask you to vote on the revised bylaws for Mayflower Church, and that vote will take place next Sunday right after church. Um, So over the past few months, as you know, our bylaws committee has done a tremendous job reviewing the church bylaws. That committee consisted of Phil Idema, Chris Wilson, Harold Montgomery, and Bob Skilton, and we thank them for their work. The document had not been updated for a decade, but now the committee's completed its review, and the bylaws document was passed unanimously by council on February 22nd. So, as I mentioned, our bylaws were, the the vote was announced last week. We're announcing it again this week, and that is according to the bylaws that we announced twice, and then the third announcement is on the day of the actual vote, and that will be next week. So this week, the proposed revised bylaws were mailed to all of you, to all of our members and people on our list, with revisions indicated in red. When you review the bylaws, please take time to ask any questions you have in advance of March 13th. And I had two kind people this week point out some little nitpicks that we need to adjust, which is much appreciated. Uh, My email and cell phone number were included in the mailing. If you can't find that, you can always call the church office and they will get you in touch with me. I'll be happy to answer your questions or refer them to the bylaws committee. Thank you. I have just a couple things to highlight this morning. First is to make sure I invite all of you to the concert that we are hosting tomorrow evening, Mondays at Mayflower, 7 p.m. in the atrium. It's called Baroque in the Atrium. And uh, my harpsichord has been delivered already and is in there, and I'll be there during the coffee hour if anyone wants to look at it up close and ask questions about that instrument. We will also have a Baroque oboist. So if you're curious to know what the difference is between a modern and a Baroque oboe, you might want to come tomorrow and hear that sound and talk to Luke. Um, The other two musicians are... um, Uh, in the symphony and they were here last December and uh, played uh, the Messiah with us and now they have picked up their Baroque bows and their gut strings and are playing some Baroque music so it's going to be a wonderful program Um, the title is Tastes Reunited. So there was a great interest in the 18th century and the different cultures around the world and how to bring those together. And um, it just seemed so uh, appropriate now when it feels like maybe our world is coming apart to come into this space tomorrow and find out what it means to 
to listen to music that's trying to bring us back together. And today, um, for our first Sunday in Lent, and Steve's uh, sermon on the road home, when he first said those words, I thought, I think there's a choir piece called The Road Home, a Stephen Paulus, a wonderful composer um, from the Twin Cities that died too soon, uh, but he lives on through his wonderful music. Uh, This is written in a quite simple manner. He took an early American tune from the Southern Harmony Songbook of 1835 um, and then had a text set that's actually quite profound, and um, you'll see the text is in the bulletin. is come, follow me, I will lead you home. On this first Sunday of Lent, we begin our exploration of the crossroads Jesus faced on his way to the cross. We also acknowledge that we are invited in this season to follow Christ and explore our own crossroads. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to become my followers, let let you deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake will find it. May we now come to worship the Lord of life.
Let us pray together our opening prayer you'll find on page two of your bulletin. Almighty and everlasting God, who in your tender love towards all humanity sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take up a cross and to suffer death on our behalf. May we follow the example of his patience and humility, and may we join in the glory of his resurrection. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, is alive and reigns with you. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This time I'd like to bring forth all the children worshiping with us to come forward for the children's message. All right, friends, I need you to think of what you've eaten over this weekend, and did any of you eat anything that had bread in it? Did you have a sandwich? Did you have crackers, pizza? Yeah, everyone's had something with bread in it. All right, let's ask everybody else. Who here has had something with bread in it this weekend? Wow, that is a lot of people, isn't it? I feel like we eat a lot of bread. All right. Who has had juice this weekend? You've had juice? All right. Let's look at the grown-ups. Who has had juice over the weekend? Juice is good. All right. So can I tell you, back when Jesus was alive and he was having his last dinner with his best friends, the disciples, they could have had some other things for dinner, except that wasn't bread and juice. They could have had fish and figs. Who had fish this weekend? No. Who had figs this weekend? Who's ever had a fig? I know, me either. (laughs) But they did. So Jesus could have had fish and figs, or he could have had bread and juice. And he chose to have bread and juice with his disciples on that last supper that he had with his very best friends. Because 2,000 years later, 
guess what we're going to eat as we celebrate the Last Supper? What are we going to have? Remember, what is in those silver buckets and on that silver tray? Bread and juice. Would you guys like it if we served fish and figs for communion? No. I don't think any people out there would necessarily like that either. It would be a whole different communion, wouldn't it? But Jesus and God, they know about the little details, and they know about us as people and humans and what we need. And so today is a very special communion service, because usually you guys are dismissed to go where after children's message? Sunday school. But today, you're going to go back, and you're going to sit with your families, and we as an entire church family, we're going to take communion together. And then after communion's all over, then I'll come back up and I'll dismiss you to Sunday school from the pews. Does that sound good? All right, let's say a quick prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for your attention to detail. We are so thankful that you know us and that you have given us communion, that we can remember you and your love and your sacrifice. May this time together as a church family here at Mayflower be special in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to have you guys stand up, and everyone's going to go back and sit with your families to take communion. morning. Communion is a practice that we do here at Mayflower on the first Sunday of every month. We believe that this time of remembering the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples is for everyone that believes in him. No matter where we've come from to be at this table today, Jesus loves us all the same. May we use this time together to remember and reflect on the sacrifice through love that Jesus gave, and may we be inspired to practice this love in our lives every day. Please pray with me. God, we come to you this morning to eat the bread and drink the wine as a way to remember the sacrifice your son Jesus made when he gave his life for us. May we not just go through the motions of this time together, but may it have meaning. May your peace and mercy fill our hearts and minds, and may we be renewed. Thank you for this tangible way we can connect with you as a church family, and may we eat this meal together. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Ministering to you in the name of Christ, we offer the bread and the cup. The ushers will release you by rows, and you're welcome to come forward.
let us share together now the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. If you are four and five years old, if you will meet Mrs. Coster up here at the corner for Bible Beginnings, all our four- and five-year-olds. And then if you're a first grader, a second grader, a third grader, or a fourth grader, you can meet Mrs. Weiner up here in the corner for Bible Alive.
The scripture this morning is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, and you can find that in the Pew Bible on page 727. Reading from Luke. He went to Nazareth, where he, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Inaugural addresses are a familiar part of the landscape of our country, not thinking of State of the Union that we have just heard, but addresses that launch a presidential administration. They are well-written, well-researched, well-prepared, an expert team of writers and researchers and pollsters and advisors all contribute. A newly elected or newly re-elected president focuses on the highest values, hopes, and goals and aspirations of their presidency. And there have been some very memorable inaugural addresses. Let me just quiz you, okay? See if you can recognize 
a couple of these. So it was said in an inaugural address, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. That was Abraham Lincoln in his second inaugural address. This one, probably a bit easier. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yes, FDR. Seems as we do have quite a bit to fear these days, don't we? But calling a nation together. Or this one. Never tiring, never yielding, never finishing, we renew our purpose today to make our country more just and generous, to affirm the dignity of our lives and every life. That was more recent. George W. Bush. Or this one. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. JFK, I think you all knew that. Now today, in the text that was read, we just heard an inaugural address. And now it's not delivered to a great nation, but it's delivered to an insignificant city of a few hundred people. Not from the capital steps of the world's most powerful nation, but to a small and insignificant synagogue. Delivered not by a man who was voted into power by the people, but by a man who was anointed with the power of God. That inaugural address in Luke chapter 4 wasn't followed by a parade and a gala banquet and a dance. Well, actually, there was a parade. A parade to the edge of a cliff with the intent of pushing him off. Boy, you talk about a nosedive in approval ratings. I mean, look at verse 22 of Luke 4. It says, they all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Seven verses later, verse 29 says, And they got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. Why? Why such a reaction? Jesus' ministry was just beginning. There had been the baptism and the great affirmation of God the Father. And then the temptation where he encounters Satan. And then right after the temptation that we looked at on Ash Wednesday, then the road home. Now, roads are going to be our theme this Lenten season. Crossroads. Jesus comes to so many crossroads that will take him to his cross. And today, we think of crossroads. And we began the season by putting the cross of ashes on our forehead. And now today, we come 
to the table to receive that which is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But let's look at this crossroad that took him to his hometown of Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up. I mean, everybody in the town, they knew him. On the way from the wilderness temptation down by the Dead Sea, he travels north to Galilee and to Nazareth. And on the way north, he taught in synagogues along the way. And everybody who heard him was just full of praise. And when he finally reached hometown, he was a big news item. Now, maybe it would be like uh, a resident of East Grand Rapids becoming president of the United States. Oh, that happened, you know, you know that, yeah. But you know, when he came home, home to those who had known him so well all through the years, I never heard of any attempt to dump him in Reed's Lake. So why did these hometown folks do that to Jesus? Well, no doubt expectation is running high. And he, as he always did, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And the, the officer or the president of the synagogue in that day could call on anyone who was present to read the scroll and make some comments if they wanted to do so. It was only natural that Jesus, this big news item, this hero come home, that he would be asked to read and to comment. And he takes the scroll and he reads that text from Isaiah. And all eyes were on him. This was their boy. I imagine that there were some who were well remembering watching, watching over him when he was a child, when Mary was busy with the wash basket and the water bucket. Will you watch, will you watch my boy for, for a little while? But now he'd become famous. Now he'd gathered a following. And now they had heard of supernatural healings of these unexplainable miracles coming from this one who they'd known as a youngster. And I imagine they anticipated that Jesus would say, you know, uh, thanks for all that you did for me. I mean, Nazareth, this is the greatest town in the world. And I, I couldn't have done, you know, done this without what you did. And I promise you that, you know, I'm just going to do greater things right here in my hometown than I've done anywhere. They waited for him to make them proud. Hmm. But his comments that day and the text of the day that he chose is the inaugural message to his ministry. This will be the mark of what I will do. And as a matter of fact, this is being fulfilled right here today as I'm with you, Jesus says, in that little synagogue. It's going to be marked, this 
work of his by freeing those who are locked down by poverty and tyranny or broken hearts. Whatever is holding people down, God means to lift them up. Whatever is tearing people down, God means to mend. He doesn't say what we might expect. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to rule, to be rich, to dominate, to be famous, to have spectacular success. And I'm going to share that with all of you. Now he says, the Spirit sends me not to the powerful, not to palaces, not to presidents, but to the hurting and the hated and the heartbroken, the crushed ones. But still, why were they so angry? He spoke those words and the text says nothing about anger yet. So far they're really impressed. It used the word they're amazed at the things that have come out of his mouth. And they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, you know, it's just a youngster that's now grown to be a man. And then Jesus, Jesus puts a twist on his words. And he drives home something that they must understand if, he is to be understood at all. No doubt, he said, you're expecting me to tell you how great you are and what I'm going to do for you. But he tells them two stories, and they knew their history. They knew their history well. Stories from their history about a widow and a leper. In the time of Elijah, there was a great famine across the land. The staggering need in Israel was just overwhelming. And God sent Elijah, his prophet, where? Not to Israel, but to Zarephath in Sidon. That's north of Israel. To a place that they perhaps had heard of but never visited to a widow who would never be welcomed in Nazareth, who would never be permitted in the synagogue, an outsider, a reject. God chooses her. And he reminded them of the story of Nahum the leper. You've heard it, that Syrian officer. God chooses him. There's Hundreds of lepers in Israel. But God chooses this outsider, this Syrian military man, to heal. He was unclean by nationality and by disease. He couldn't be touched nor tolerated. And the message is clear. They get it. Jesus is inaugurating a new social order, an alternative to violence and exclusion and separation. And it is radically inclusive. God saves people, welcomes people, loves people who would never be welcomed in the Nazareth synagogue. 
He loves, reaches out, cares for, brings life to the despised, the rejected, to foreigners. Well, they got it. And they were no longer proud to call Jesus their own. He wasn't going to perform for them in the way that they expected and they wanted. And they fly into a rage and off to the cliff they go. It's dangerous to quote scripture to people who are firmly entrenched in prejudice. But when the Spirit is on us, the Spirit sends us out to free, to restore, to release and to recover those who have lost and who are broken. To go to the poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed. Nationality doesn't matter. Background is meaningless. Status is insignificant to God There is no favored nation. There is no such thing as Christian nationalism. So at a crossroad, after the baptism and the voice that says, This is my son. The Spirit says, Let's go to the wilderness. To the place of seeming deadness. And there in deprivation the tempter comes. But he stands strong and chooses the road that leads to the Father and the Father's will. Even at the denial of himself. And then refreshed by the ministering angels. He takes the road home. The road to Nazareth. And there they take him to a cliff to dispose of him, to do away with him and his radical ideas of inclusion. They don't want to hear. At this Lenten season, our world is at a crossroads, isn't it? And we will encounter our own crossroads as we move toward the cross. Let's follow Jesus. He'll take us to a cross, he will. He'll take us to a place where we face temptations. A place where those who perhaps we thought were friends, become opposition. He'll take us to stand against prejudice and exclusion. But let's follow Jesus to the crossroads of this season. Amen.
in just a moment. The ushers are going to come forward to receive this morning's offering. Just a reminder, if you have a prayer card, you'd like to slip in that offering pouch, you are invited to do so. Whether you give here, you mail a check to the office, you give online, you text to give, we are all at a crossroads of faithfulness as to how we support the ministry and outreach here at Mayflower. We appreciate you deeply. Thank you.
Holy Lord, we dedicate these gifts, offerings, and tithes to you. We acknowledge that everything comes from you. We are just giving back to you what simply was yours to begin with. So, Lord, as we dedicate these gifts, we also dedicate ourselves in this season of Lent. We dedicate ourselves to facing the crossroads in our own lives. And, Lord, we acknowledge the world is a very scary place. There's so much reason to fear. But, Lord, let's dedicate ourselves again today to be peacemakers, to people who know what is ours to do. Maybe we need you to show us what is ours to do, that we do not fall to complacency. We do not just lift our hands in the air and say, oh, well, this has nothing to do with me. But, Lord, draw us closer to your heart, your heart for the world, your heart for our neighbor, your heart for ourselves, to grow in our love and knowledge of you. So we rededicate our lives to you in this season. May you do what you want to do with us and with this amazing church. May you order our steps and may we follow you with reckless abandon. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. On your road of life, may you be guided by the one who at the crossroads chose the way that led to a cross and an empty tomb. May he lighten your journey as you go forth.
and follow him. Amen.